instead of here, but uh, there's no sense in cooling and heating two places and so on, so we'll move our whole operation over there. I've rearranged the little furniture to make more room for all of us to be comfortable there. In fact, I think we'll have as much or actually more room than we have here. So, uh, next week at my house. Now, last time we went into the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, I had had a request along those lines. We hadn't been there in a long time. And uh, I mentioned at the beginning that this is a book that Solomon wrote uh, from a human standpoint, from a human perspective. Now, he does mention God uh, through the book occasionally, and especially at the end. But he's writing about what life is like as a human being. And really what Ecclesiastes is for us is a reality check to understand what we go through and why we go through it and the futility of it apart from God. Uh, I'll comment probably a little more on that particular aspect as we get into it, but we start, we start into chapter 2 today, uh, Solomon having started to explore various things in life to see what could or could not bring happiness and enduring pleasure or what does, just doesn't work. And uh, let's get into it then in chapter 2. I said in my heart, well, let's go back to 18 of verse 1, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. So, the more you understand, he says, the greater the sorrow, the greater the grief. And I think I commented that Christ himself was a man of sorrows because he had imbibed of throughout eternity uh, what it's like to be God in a wonderful world. And then he experienced what it would be like to be a human being down here and see all that was happening as a human, not as God looking down, but as a human himself to ex actually experience what it's like to be a human being. And uh, that made him a man of sorrows. So whatever is happening on this earth increases uh, sorrow and grief the more you understand it. Isaiah even mentions that God will look to those who sigh and cry over the abominations being perpetrated on the earth. So, when you see what mankind is doing and what Satan is doing to mankind here, you do a lot of sighing and groaning and moaning and crying over conditions as they are. It, it isn't a pretty picture. Uh, worldwide tried to sort of counteract that at one point by bringing out a little newspaper that they put together uh, allegedly from the beginning of the millennium where there was good news coming in from all over the world and the whole newspaper was about good news. Some of you might remember that about how things had gotten better here and they were better there and uh, everything was looking rosy uh, as a contrast to what you see on the news of the world anywhere today and that is of murder and sickness and death and political garbage and war and, and all that goes on, 
that makes up our world today. And there's very little good news from anywhere. In fact, when you don't see many feel-good stories. Once in a while, they'll stick one in just to, to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy. But the reality of what's going on is not that at all. So I, I thought that was kind of a neat attempt to show that things will be different at that time. But right now, the more you know, the more frustrated you get. So, he said in chapter 2 then, I said in my heart, look around now, or go to now. I will prove you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. So he said to himself, uh, his innermost thoughts, I am going to look for fun and games, for mirth, for laughter, for joy and entertainment, if you please. And behold, this also is vanity. Now, we see that displayed today in uh, the entertainment and the desire of people. People just want to enjoy life. They want to have fun. Everything they do, whether it be work or other activities, is designed to give them happiness and pleasure. I mean, that's... That's what people want. They want security, and they want to be able to just enjoy life. But he said this also is vanity, that even as you seek to find different kinds of pleasure, you're faced with the reality that it doesn't come that easy. <laughs> and when it's said and done, uh, and the laughter dies away, you deal with the aftermath. Like the T-shirt says, it was all fun and games, games till a cop showed up. Then you start dealing with reality. And uh, I don't know why they call these shows on TV reality shows. They don't really reflect any kind of reality whatsoever. Uh, they're there for entertainment. So he says that also comes to an end. There's, there's nothing final. There's nothing lasting in finding out pleasure and mirth and laughter. So he says, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what does it do? All fun and games and laughter and happiness, and then the party's over. And you face the grim realities of life. How do you pay the bills? How do you feel better when your health is bad? How do you... Uh, have a good frame of mind when you have enemies and those who are against you and, uh, you know, enemies at work or wherever. Having a good time, yeah, it lasts a little while, but what does it do in the long run? So he says, that's not working too well. Verse 3, I sought in my heart to give myself to wine. He says, well, I'll just drink. So he gave himself to drinking wine. I suspect that he consumed quite a little of it, if that's what he made his goal to be. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if your goal is to seek out whatever wine might do for you, you don't take a sip. You take a bottle or two or three or whatever. Uh, so he gave himself over to alcohol. And a lot of people do that. And alcohol, used correctly according to Scripture, can be a relaxant, it can be a help, it can ease some situations, but uh, if you use too much and use it too often, 
it creates all kinds of problems because it affects you and the way you act and react and the way you react to others. And uh, I guess we've all seen it somewhere in our lives that that often is not a very good situation. So he says, I gave myself to wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. So he says, I'm going to lay hold on folly. I'm going to hang on to wisdom uh, while I drink myself crazy uh, and see if that does any good. You know, a lot of people try alcohol or drugs. We have a culture today that is, uh, is bound and determined to find happiness in drugs of one kind or another, prescription or non-prescription, or through alcohol or whatever avenue they choose to escape from the realities of life. So they think they're having fun. So he tried to hang on to wisdom and uh, at the same time lay hold on folly. Do stupid things, yet trying to retain uh, a certain wisdom of where this was all headed. So, you going to try something? Think that'll solve the problem? Well, Solomon tried uh, to go with wine. He could have done drugs. I don't know how many drugs there were around then, but if there were, he probably tried that too. But wine was the commonest thing. So, I wanted, I wanted to see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. He says, I'm going to experiment with this and experiment with that and just see what's the best way to go. You're here for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Uh, what's the best thing to be doing during that period of time? So he was going to experiment. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that brings forth trees. So he planted huge orchards, uh, groves of trees, had pools and swimming pools. Uh, anything that a billionaire might dream of having, Solomon made. I got me servants and maidens. So I didn't want to do anything I didn't want to do, so I hired people to do everything for me. I had someone to do whatever needed done. He didn't water his own trees. He didn't feed the fish in the pools. He had servants to do all the tending to everything that he made. He had servants born in his house. so he had, And he had a huge house. He had a palace uh, such as had never been on the face of the earth to that point, and maybe ever even today. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. Now, David had huge herds, but Solomon had bigger herds than Abraham had had or David had had or anybody else. Well, he was the biggest rancher the world had ever known. I gathered me also silver and gold. So he gathered that up from... Uh, some different places. I know where he got a lot of it, I think, and that will come out one of these days fairly soon. And the particular treasures of kings and of the provinces. So he imported things from all the provinces, wherever 
you could go to find something that might be interesting or intriguing or decorative or useful from wherever it was, all over the kingdom, and even beyond the kingdom, of we, as we find in other scriptures. So, what more could you have? He had a huge garden area, huge house, more cattle, animals than anybody, and also more silver and gold than anybody had had. And then I got me some CDs so I could have nice music. No, he says, I got me men singers and women singers. He didn't have recorded music. He got live bands, live orchestras. The lights, the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So any kind of instrument that ever was or was in existence, he had, and he had the people could play it, and he had the people that could sing. So he could have a live concert anytime he wanted. People pay big money today to go to live concerts of bad music. And uh, uh, I'm sure he had good music, and he had a free ticket. Uh, well, I say he had a free ticket. He probably had to pay them like he did the men servants and man servants. But he certainly had the money to take care of them. Can you imagine the servants' quarters here? When you have a palace, and you have all that agricultural and orchard activity, and servants to do everything, and then you have no telling how many musicians, singers and instrumentalists, and you've got to house all these people. This must have been an incredible complex that he had. So I was great. <laughs> Verse 9. And increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. I was the richest guy that had ever been. Had everything I could possibly imagine. That's what he's trying to describe here. He says, I was going to do all these wonders and have everything there was to have. So... You know, Americans, we kind of have the American dream where we could have a little house and a picket fence, and, and then we changed our dream to a McMansion and so on. But we never dreamed probably as big as Solomon did, and we'll never have what Solomon had. There's no billionaire on earth today who was as rich as Solomon was then and who has everything that Solomon has. I've never even heard of a billionaire yet that was the greatest rancher on earth and that had his own bands and his own orchestras. I mean, yeah, they do hire a Hollywood singer to come and put on a uh, performance for them sometimes in private parties. They do do that. But they don't have them in-house like Solomon did. So nobody's lived as lavishly and done as much as this man did, even to today. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So he said, in spite of doing all these things, and can you imagine the amount of time and effort and planning that, and the dreaming that he had to do, and perhaps consult architects and all kinds of skilled people to put together the physical plant that he had. Uh, 
So it was a, a great deal of effort and time and expense that went into this. But his wisdom remained. God had given him that, and even though he was sidetracked by a lot of these things, and they became, they kind of took on a life of their own. Uh, you know, sometimes we want peace and quiet, but then we stir up so much activity and so much work and so many things that we get burdened with so much to do. And there's more things to do than we have time. Well, he had servants for everything, but it still took a lot of his time to put all this together and to keep people moving in the right directions. You know, I've experienced that on a small level in business where I was a contractor up in Alaska. And, and if I hired a crew, uh, I spent till 2 and 3 in the morning uh, figuring out what to have everybody do and making bids on new projects and all kinds of stuff. And uh, then they'd show up for work and work eight hours and go home and do whatever people do when they go. But I still had to keep working, and, you know, it got to be, I didn't really care for that. So I took on smaller projects and either did it myself or my brother helped me for a while there uh, because I didn't want to manage 20 or 30 people. Too much hassle. And today it's even worse. That was back in the 80s, mostly, 90s, uh, and... Now, it's hard to find anybody that wants to work. They want you to pay them to sit around just because they're there and do nothing productive. So, it becomes a hassle. So, he looked around at that, and uh, here's what he said. Verse 10, Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. Anything that I looked at and I thought I might want, I got it. He didn't have a wish list. He just had a see it and get it list. <laughs> you know? <coughs> he didn't have a bucket list. He, he had everything you could possibly want. He did everything you could possibly do. I didn't keep anything from them. And I withheld not my heart from any joy. Anything I wanted to have and rejoice over, I just did it. He had access to any and everything. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. So, he apparently enjoyed the work that he was doing, and that was what he got out of it, was enjoying the work. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had worked, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. So he says, I enjoyed the work while I was doing it. It was fun to develop. It was time. It was fun to build it. It was fun to get it all together. And then I began to look around and say, What good is it? What, what have I? What have I done? The work is done. Everything I dreamed of is there. It's finished. And all it is is vanity. And it became a vexation of spirit. He was vexed by life. The spirit, the, the mind, the emotions within him were vexation. They weren't positive at that point. Because he had done all that work, 
produced all that stuff, more stuff than anybody has ever had. And then he looked around and thought, I'm still not happy. This didn't do it. I've known some fairly wealthy people in my life, and I found that they weren't any happier than I was. They just weren't. They had problems. They had issues. <clears throat> so he said, what good did it do? So verse 12, I turned myself to behold wisdom. said, I've done all this, and now I'm vexed. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. So I'm going to look at wisdom. And I'm going to look at madness and folly. For what can the man do that comes after the king? Even that which has been already done. So he says, I, I'm perplexed here. I don't know what to do. I'm going to look at wisdom. And I'm going to look at stupidity and folly and doing dumb, stupid things. And try to find something that makes sense. I mean, I've done it all and nobody can do anything after what I've done. And I'm not happy. So why do people crawl around like they're like ants doing as, things as fast as they can go? And the hurrier the go, you go, the behinder you get. You know? There was a song came out some, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago that said, uh, I'm always in a hurry, but I don't know why. <laughs> Just go, 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 go. <clears throat> But what is there there? So he says, look people, as he writes this, I've done it all. And it didn't make me happy. So now I'm going to look at all kinds of things and try to figure out something here that makes any sense on this earth. So after he ran those thoughts through his head for a while and tried to sort it all out, he probably laid in bed at night and trying to sort out what, what makes sense. This is wise. Well, this is madness and folly and stupidity, and uh, I've tried both, and I can't find an answer either way. But he finally kind of wised up in verse 13. He says, Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as far as light excels darkness. So he said, uh, to be wise, to understand wisdom, wisdom is... Understanding, essentially, wisdom is understanding what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and how it needs to be done. That's what wisdom amounts to, uh, as opposed to the stupidity that most people walk through life in and don't know what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, and what the result's going to be. <clears throat> so he said, at least I can see that wisdom is a whole lot better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man's head, eyes are in his head. They're connected right there to his brain, and he comprehends what's going on, understands it. So what he sees, he can make some sense of. But the fool walks in darkness. It's like being in a dark alley at night. You don't know what to do. Uh, you look at some of these talk shows and Dr. Phil shows and different ones, and you see people who are so mixed up and upside down and their lives are in turmoil. Uh, they're in anger and all kinds of noxious habits and bad relationships, and they just they have no clue what way to go. Now, in a human, worldly sense, 
Dr. Phil, one of the few psychologists who actually makes people see some reality and face their issues. Most psychologists don't even do that. But he makes them look at the realities of life and quit deceiving themselves about what's really going on. But, but Solomon's saying that. And so, of course, we have something a lot better than Dr. Phil in that he understands some biblical principles, but we have the whole Bible. We should find the answers, even answers he can't find. But these fools out here in the world are just walking around blindly, not knowing what to do or how to go about it. And I myself perceived also that one event happens to them all. So he says, a wise man kind of can see where he's going. He, he has some goals and purposes that, that help him get through life with less havoc and less trouble. Uh, and then the fool stumbles through life, and they all reach about 50, 60, 70, 80 years of age, and the same thing happens to all of them. They die. So which was better, and what difference does it make when you all get stuck in the ground? Because that's a finality. One event happens to them all. They all die. Then said I in my heart, well, let me think about that. As it happens to the fool, so it happens even to me. Wisest man on earth, God had given incredible wisdom, and he says, I'm headed the same place the fool is, pushing up posies. <laughs> What's the point here? You try to do right and try to do good and you die anyhow and you give yourself over to folly as he had done for a while and you're going to die anyway. When And why was I then more wise? What difference did it make when the lights go out? The lights go out. That's it. Then said I in my heart, this also is vanity. So what he's... Uh, enunciating here is that this human life in and of itself is a futility. It doesn't matter what you do, how you live, you're still going to die. That's just it. That's the bottom line. So it's vanity means temporary uh, in this context. It's all temporary. If this is all there is, as Paul said, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If this is all there is, he said in another place, we are of all men most miserable because we have convicted ourselves and committed ourselves to living God's way. And living God's way is hard. It is totally against everything in your nature to do things God's way. Uh, it's easy to do wrong. It's easy to be selfish. It's easy to sin. That comes, as the Proverbs say, and Solomon wrote, it's like urinating. It comes so easy. It's, it just happens. And life is that way too. He says, verse 16, For there is no remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten, and how dies the wise man? Same as the fool. It's all going to be forgotten real soon. I think we talked about that a little bit last week, about your, your ancestors. You don't know them. Back more than a generation or two, everything else is forgotten. 
And the same be, same be with us, just, to, just from a plain old human perspective. <clears throat> Therefore, I hated life. After all he had done, and all the things he had had, or still had, anything you could possibly imagine or dream of, he had. He had not withheld any pleasure, anything he wanted to do, and he hated life. Now, a lot of people think if they just had this, or they just had that, or they just had something else, that their life would be good. If they just had that house, and they just had it paid for, and they just had those three cars and had them paid for, you know, if they just had a good wife or a good husband, or a bunch of kids, or a better job that they liked instead of hating their jobs as most people seem to do. So people have their things that they, if they could just do this, they would be happy. <laughs> and you'll hear it fairly commonly. If I could just win the lottery, lottery, life would be good. But then you examine the people who've won the lottery, and there's a very high suicide rate a short time later, and they most of them lose everything that they won, blow it, people take it away from them, whatever, and it winds up in misery. But that's not what people have in their mind. They think that having that 300 billion is going to make life a bowl of cherries. No pits and no stems. But it doesn't. Now Solomon's expressing the same thing that modern Americans do. He tried it all, and he had everything. And then he wound up hating life. When you hate life, that means essentially you don't care to live anymore. You're, you're done with it. Because it isn't fun, it isn't good, it isn't happy, it's frustrating. So all that he had done ended up in frustration. He said he used the word vexation a little earlier. Now he says he just plain old flat out hated life. So if you think anything in this life will be the answer to all your fears and worries and doubts and insecurities and frustrations, you got another thing coming. There is nothing on this earth, not a mate, not a child, not a car, not a house, not an island, not a continent, that can make you happy. Because happiness is not a state of the mind, despite Texans' view. I mean, not a state of the union. Happiness is a state of the mind and the heart. <coughs> and there's nothing on this earth that can permanently make you happy. It might give you a little joy or a little pleasure for a little while. But the new car smell goes away and the struts go out. Or whatever. And then it's vexation and trouble and why don't they make these things where they last. Nothing lasts. It's all temporary. Because the work that is worked under the sun is grievous to me. He hated it and it grieved him. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. So, when it's all said and done, it's no fun. You may think you have a certain amount of fun, but what about when you begin to decline? You begin to head toward underground, 
and your health goes bad, and your mind goes bad, and your muscles go bad, and your nerves go bad, and your finances go bad, and uh, your wife or your husband dies, and your kids are in jail. You know? It's a vanity and a vexation of spirit. And then you're looking forward to death. Not looking forward to it, but... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Regretting that you have to die in any case. So he says, yes, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun. Remember up there where he says his heart rejoiced in his labor in verse 10? He, he had fun doing it, had fun building it, but when it was all said and done, he hated it all. Why did he hate it? Partly because he was selfish and because I should leave it to the man that shall be after me. The selfishness was there, and even though he had all this stuff, he recognized he was going to die and somebody else was going to get it, and that frustrated him all the more. I can't keep it. I can't have it. It isn't eternal. Somebody else is going to have everything I've done, everything I worked for, everything I did, everything I've piled up higher and deeper is going away and somebody else is going to have it. So what's the point? <laughs> he says, I hated that I went through all that for somebody else. And who knows whether he shall be a wise man or a fool. Well, that was answered not too long after he died. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, his sons, got into a big tiff and a fight, as siblings do. And then the kingdom got divided and all this stuff went to nothing. In one generation. One generation. The peace that was there during Solomon's reign was gone. And Israelites were killing Israelites uh, in war with a divided nation. Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Have you seen people who had a certain amount of wealth, and then they had a will, and they died, and maybe the will was read, and there were some people in the audience who didn't like what the will said, and then they began to fight and fume and file lawsuits against each other and try to break the will and try to get more and argue and fight, maybe even kill each other sometimes over uh, an inheritance. And it all just goes away. It's bifurcated and destroyed. I once knew a family who had quite a lot of wealth, and uh, one of the patriarchs of the family died, and his house had a lot of family heirlooms and treasures and very, very expensive furniture and paintings and rugs. And I mean, it was very, very finely done. It cost an awful lot of money to outfit that home. And then there were all the pictures and all the stuff on the walls of the family. Uh, family heirlooms that had been there for two and three and four generations. Picture this. A palatial home that had everything that everybody in the family wanted. 
So when this guy died, they had a big funeral and everybody went to the funeral. And one uncle, who wasn't missed, didn't go. He stayed home and took everything there was in that house out, put it in a big pile and burned every bit of it. And boy, was everybody in the family mad when they got back. Why did you do this? And he said, I knew you were all going to fuss and fight and war over all this stuff. Now it's done. <laughs> and they could only stay mad at him for the rest of their life. Or however long they decided to hold that bitterness. But he solved the problem for them, whether they realized it or not. Sound like a pretty dire way to go about things, but it kind of echoes what Solomon's expressing here. A bunch of fools will take over, <laughs> and it'll all go away. So what good did it do to do all this? So... Uh, he'll have rule over all my labor wherein I've labored, end of verse 19, and wherein have I showed myself wise under the sun. All the wisdom and skill and ability and intelligence that I use to put all this together, and, and it's all just vanity. It all just goes away. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. He says, it just frustrates me that I did all this. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that has not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. So it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you worked hard or not worked hard, you're going to die and it's all going to go away. For what has man of all his labor and the vexation of his heart wherein he has labored under the sun? What does it all come down to? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yes, his heart takes not rest in the night. This is also vanity. If you were an intelligent, educated, capable person and you worked hard and you amassed a fortune... Then you spent your nights worrying about who was trying to take it away from you and what lawsuit was going to get it and who was going to steal it or defraud you of it and take it away from you. So you spent nights worrying about your enemies. And if you didn't amass that wealth, you laid up nights worrying about how you were going to get some wealth. So either way, you didn't sleep. You were perplexed and frustrated by whatever goals you might have had in life, successful or unsuccessful. says it just doesn't matter. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his work. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Now, didn't Christ say that in different words in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you work 
for your daily bread. You pray that God will bless you with that. But he says, heaping up treasure on this earth isn't the answer. Heaping up treasure in the world tomorrow is what counts. And not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't brag in your own mind about your good deeds uh, or to anybody else. Just do them quietly and don't even let your own hands know what the other one is doing as you just go about serving and you take no pride, no vanity, no ego in it. You just do it because it needs done and to help others. So, whatever your soul finds to do, you do it with your might. Whatever your work is, whatever your labor is, whether it's digging ditches or running computers, it doesn't matter. Find a peace of mind in doing a good job at whatever it is that you do. Uh, that's from the hand of God, he says. He had heaped it up, and it was going away. You can't take it with you when you go. So what's the point? The only thing you can heap up that goes with you is treasure in heaven. It's the only thing there is that will last, that will go on. For who can eat or who else can hasten hereto more than I? He says, who can, who can have more food? Who can do more things? Uh, as I've said, you can only eat so much, uh, and that's all. And if you eat any more, it's not good for you anyhow. So who, who can hurry to pleasures more than he could? For God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he might give it to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. So he says, whatever the wicked do down here, and whatever they heap up, it's going to wind up going to the righteous. Now he's saying something here that is behind this all along. And that is that this life, in and of itself, is futile. Rich or poor, smarter, dumb, wiser, fool, it's all the same because it ends and that's the end of it. There's another place a little further down where he says that this life is a travail and it is here to exercise men, that is to stretch men, to try men. And that's exactly what God's plan and purpose in this life is. Now he looks at what Satan did. Because Satan decided that he was wiser than God, he could do a better job than God, uh, and those who follow Satan do the same thing. I can do a better job than Moses. I can do a better job than John the Baptist or Isaiah. I can do a better job than Herbert Armstrong. I can do a better job than, uh, you know, whoever. So, I need to be in a position of authority. I need to be a deacon or an elder or be the minister, or I need to be able to influence. Uh, well, Satan did all those things, and he rebelled against God. And the point is here, ultimately, <coughs> that any time you are apart from God, you're in trouble. Whether you let a man or a woman pull you from God, or you let a sin or a of uh, 
a desire of the flesh draw you from, draw you from God, or you let the accrual of wealth draw you from God, or bitterness because you don't have what you want draw you from God. When you are apart from God, you are miserable. Now, Satan is against God and is apart from God now, does not have godly thoughts anymore, and he is the most miserable being in the universe because he is the most counter-opposed to God. He is the furthest from God of any being in the universe. And he has the most miserable life there is. Now, he has led human beings in rebellion against God to go after the desires of the flesh, and the degree to which we are separate and apart from God, because sin cuts us off from God, the more miserable we become. So he gave us a limited lifetime down here, in which he said in Genesis, after man began to sin, that their apartness from God was going to make them miserable. They had been content in the garden with a very, very close relationship to God for a short while. And that proximity to God and lack of sin and lack of influence of Satan made them happy. But the moment they allowed Satan to influence them, they became bitter against each other, they became bitter against God, they became bitter against life, and God even told them, from now on, you're going to have it rough. Life is not going to be easy for another human being on this earth. It will be trouble, travail, frustration of various kinds. Pain in childbirth, thorns and thistles, and trying to make a living at the, by the sweat of your brow against hard circumstances. That's the way it's been ever since. So it's that proximity that got to God that is missing. So he tried all these things from a purely human standpoint and came up empty, angry, frustrated, and vexed. So you can't try anything that Solomon didn't try. I don't care how hard you work at it, you can't try anything that he didn't do. Okay? Whatever your desires, your wishes, your hopes, you can't do anything he didn't do. And it won't make you happy. The only thing that will is being part of God's kingdom. That is the only security, the only peace, the only place that there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, but life abundantly ever after. So God started out by giving man about a thousand years. And he says, that's way too long to be living as a human being. Then he cut it to about 500 and then 250. And he says, that's way too long to be a human being. Then he cut it to about 70. And that's almost too long to be a human being. You, I mean, the normal lifespan now, apart from disease and other things, is about 70, 80 years. And that's plenty. It's plenty. And he's going to cut short quite a few billion lives here very shortly because enough's enough.
It's just the way it is. So he is going to conclude before this is all done, and we see little glimpses of it here, that whatever you do down here isn't going to matter in the long run. So you might as well just enjoy your food and your drink, try to find a certain amount of pleasure in your work, and from a physical standpoint, that's as good as it gets. Amassing wealth doesn't do it. Trying to go to a to please yourself and have entertainment doesn't do it. Nothing does it except just there's nothing better than eat and drink and enjoy your work and that's what God put you here to do. To do it honestly, to do it zealously, to do it well and to take pleasure in what you're able to produce. And see, we're all we're all messed up on that. People today are doing work that it's hard to truly take pleasure in because they aren't really producing anything. You know, can you really take pleasure in producing a taco at Taco Bell or a hamburger at McDonald's? What, what, what can you take from slapping those buns together between a piece of or around a piece of you-know-what, or you-don't-know-what. Uh, it's just something to do to pass the time and get you enough money to not pay the bills so you can put it on credit cards. What is it? And then people have better jobs, and then they want more. And they still are in debt because of their greed. There are people who make a hundred, two hundred thousand a year that are living on credit cards because they don't have any money. They're broke because they bought a house that cost this much and a car or two or three that cost that much, and they go to on cruises and they're still broke and miserable and trying to figure out a way to make ends meet. Neither does you any good. Try to find God intended people to be basically agricultural based, so that they could work at producing something and do it without all the hubbub and the frustration <coughs> that working for big corporations creates and the politics and the infighting. He intended a family to be a family unit, to work the farm, the ranch, to take care of the old people as they got old instead of putting them in a nursing home and throwing them across the bread once in a while or coming in saying, hi, Dad. Sorry, you can't understand who I am, see you, or whatever. No, the old people grew old at home, and the next generation took care of them, and they could die in grace and dignity instead of going in and having tubes running in and out of every orifice plus two or three new orifices and so drugged up and in pain, trying to keep them alive for another two or three or six months. It's sad what we've come to, and and costing them everything they have to do it. That's our society today. You work all your life, work, 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 to become wealthy. And if you get wealthy, then you spend all your wealth trying to get your health back. Blow your health getting wealthy. Then you spend your wealth getting your health back and you never accomplish it. It's a futility, a vanity, and a vexation of spirit. 
No. Just work. Serve others. Help others. Be productive. And that's, the, that's as good as it gets. That's just as good as it gets. That's what Solomon's trying to say. Tried all this stuff. Just do your job. Find pleasure in it. Enjoy your food and your drink. And sleep at night. And things are good. Now, they may not be as good as you want, but they're as good as they're going to get in this human frame. And the only thing we have to look forward to that's going to be any better is close proximity to God once again in the kingdom of God, where everything is close and everything is according to His will and His purposes, and it never ends. It isn't vanity and vexation of spirit because somebody else is going to have what you put together. Now, if you have treasure in heaven and you receive it, it's yours forevermore. Eternal life, no pain, no suffering, no insecurity. Everything will be good from then on. And that is the only place on earth or in the universe that that can ever happen. Do we really grasp that? Human beings are scurrying all over this earth, as Daniel said they would at the end time, trying to find happiness, peace, and joy, and security, and pleasure, and adventure. And it all winds up, they get old, they die, or they die young, or whatever, and it's ended. It's over. So unless there's something more than this, forget it. And while you're here, try to follow Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you can do that, That's as good as it gets on this earth. And look forward to when it will be so much, much better. That's why God put us here and let us go through all the garbage that we go through. is so that we might learn that the only way to true happiness is close proximity to God. I just lost my wife less than two weeks ago. And you know what? God could have healed her. I put it in his hands, and I says, Father, you know what's best in the long run for her, for me, for everybody. Your will be done. Not what I might wish, not what I might think at the moment I want, but your will be done. She'd suffered many, many years in pain, severe pain. She's not suffering anymore, but I believe her name's in the book of life. And I think she'll be in the first resurrection. And I truly believe that she will have happiness and peace and no pain and no sorrow forevermore. And you know what? I'm not bitter toward God. I'm sorrowful. I'm lonely. I miss her terribly. But I'm not angry with God. I'm not frustrated with God. I know He knows best. And I just look forward to seeing her again in happiness and eternal security as the bride of Christ. That's all that matters. It's all that matters. Everything else down here is temporary vanity and vexation of spirit. So if by any means we can draw closer to God in our lives in any possible way. 
the better off we're going to be. Do not let anything or anybody drag you away from God. Hang on to Christ and the Father the way Jacob did all night long and never turn loose or turn your head or go any other direction because it's the only direction that ever will mean anything.